Okay, several people have asked for extensions. Um, so I think what we won't do is talk about Pascal's wager today because um, it would be either unfair or too fair. <laughs> it would be unfair in one way or another for those um, who've asked for extensions and are still working on it. Um, they would just feel under terrible pressure to say something that we didn't say in class. Um, they would find that a whole lot of their ideas were preempted, and that would be very sad for them. So in order not to make those people sad, um, we'll put off a discussion of Pascal's wager until Monday. Um, but I hope you guys found those of you who actually did write your papers, which look like over half, which is great. Um, I hope you found uh, thinking about this interesting. Um, you can just nod. Sorry? Like an interesting set, yes. Um, but not like interesting times, which is the famous Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. Um, you know what? Screw those people. What's happened in Venture? Yes. Um, but we will, so we'll talk about it on Monday. But um, as I say, I do hope you found it interesting. Um, what we'll talk about today are a couple of issues. One is the article that is due for today, in which I'm now handing it out, handing out. So this is one, there, I think there are only two um, world-famous one-page articles um, in, no, there are more. I guess, well, here of relativity, I think, was four pages. Um, but world-famous um, one-page articles that you, um, that got you thinking about things. Um, one is um, this, A Two-Person Dilemma by Albert Tucker. And this is actually hard to find. Um, everyone knows about it, but it was only passed around in mimeograph for the first 30 years of its existence. And um, then it's not at all easy to find, but now you have a copy of it. Um, the other one is um, Gettier's paper on what knowledge is, which I think, is that, Jennifer, is that just one page long? Sorry? Gettier's paper um, on what knowledge is? It's, it's very, very short. I think it's only a page long. It might even be half a page. It's sort of um, that one page or less than a page long article um, destroyed a whole lot of philosophical belief very, very quickly. So I guess the next time you say I'm having trouble getting to seven pages on this, I'll have to think of Gettier and how maybe you don't really, if you can write like that and think like that, you don't have to get to seven pages. Um, all right, so part, Pascal, you, everyone realizes this is the same Pascal as Pascal's triangle, right? Um, now you know. He was, he, he, did, he did a lot. Um, important in math, important in philosophy, important in the history of religion. Yeah, and the universe in general. Um, one of the things that he did um, was essentially to found probability, our modern ideas of probability. Um, that is, probability some of you may know or feel is a kind of hard and counterintuitive concept. Is this, how many people feel like totally at ease in, th in talking about um, probabilities of things, statistics? Uh, yeah. Well, okay. So, so let me just ask you, just just by way of, um, I don't know, a quiz. 
not, I mean, not a quiz you have to take, but just, just to see what your intuitions are. So everyone knows, let's say that the odds of um, flipping a coin, it's 50-50 uh, heads and tails. Or let's do this slightly differently. No, we won't. We'll do it 50-50 heads and tails. Um, or let's say the odds that you have a child, um, that they're 50-50 distribution of children, boys and girls, um, which there aren't, but let's say there are. So um, if you meet a person, what are the odds, and, you f and what are the odds that that person, you find out that person has two children, what are the odds that that person has two daughters? 25%. Everyone gets that it's one out of four? Anyone surprised by that? Like, oh my goodness, really? Okay, so everyone gets it's one out of four. If you flip a coin twice, what are the odds that heads come up twice in a row? Which coin? Uh, uh, we, will, we will default to normal coins unless otherwise instructed to. So if you flip a coin twice, what are the odds that you get heads twice? 25%. Yeah, one in four. Um, do you know why? Yeah, okay. Because you're multiplying the individual probabilities of each event in the sequence. Okay. So, so, one, so the first time it's 50% chance, and then the second time it's also a 50% chance, and you multiply those together for the probability of all Okay, so one way you can do it is, and it's a standard way you could do it, is to say the probability each time is 50%, and when you are asking the probability of two independent things um, both occurring, you have to multiply the probabilities of each occurring. Yeah? No, for the guy with two children, wouldn't it be a third? Because you could have a son and a daughter, no, no, and two daughters, or two sons, but we're not saying... Or a daughter and a son. But we're not saying what age they're in. No, we're not. We're saying two children. The odds that, that the first child was a daughter are one and two. The odds that the second child is a daughter are one and two. So it's like flipping a coin twice. You could also say, well, you could have heads and tails, tails and heads. Heads and tails, heads and heads, or tails and tails. Right? That would also sound like one and three. But it wouldn't be, because these are independent. Yeah. So one way to do it that is, so here's a way where set theory and probability come together. And it's exactly um, the way Amanda was pointing us, is that you could say there are four possible outcomes if you flip a coin twice. Um, you could have two heads, two tails, a head and a tail, and a tail and a head. Those are the four possible sequences of flipping a coin twice, right? Yes? Yes. Okay, sometimes I don't know whether you're, you're not answering because it's too obvious or too puzzling. Um, okay, four possible outcomes of flipping a coin twice. Of those four possible outcomes, they're all equally possible, right? So four possible outcomes, they're all equally possible. Only one of those outcomes of the four gives you two heads, so there's a one in four chance. Okay, yes? So you could do it as 25% the first time, 25% the second time, or you could count all the possible outcomes and see which ones fit what you're looking for. Okay, so you flip a coin once and it comes, out, comes up heads. What are the odds that when you flip it a second time it'll come up heads? Yeah, so everyone knows that it's one and two. So when you go play roulette and the ball falls in black 15 times in a row, you are not more tempted to play black, and you're not less tempted to play black, right? You are. Sorry? You 
except you are. So there's, yeah, so there's that darn psychology interfering with our ideas of probability. But again, the point is these are independent, um, these are independent flips of the coin. So nothing that the first flip, nothing that the first flip tells you um, will have anything to do with what happens in the second flip. Okay, now a slightly different question. A person says, I have two children and one of them is a boy. What are the odds that they're both boys? Ah, finally, interestingness. I have two children and one of them is four. Yes. I guess it's 50. Yeah. Have you seen the movie 21? Yeah. Where there's this one part where the professor asks basically the question they're asking, where you look at one curtain and then you Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's that's harder. That's a Monty Hall problem. But isn't the same concept that your odds change? You can't take your original. Yeah, it's, it's the Monty Hall problem. Problem is is a step farther. No, so if I say I have two children and my first child is a bore, is a bore, um, then what are the odds that my second child is a bore? Well, I probably bored them both to death, so they're both bores for that reason. So pretty high. But if I say that I have two children and my first child is a boy, what are the odds that the second child is a boy? Half. Half. I say I have two children and one of them is a boy. What are the odds that the other is also a boy? That's the question. Okay, so how many people say half? How many people say a quarter? Really? Okay, one. How many people say a fifth? <laughs> Good, <laughs> because that would be as wrong as you could. No, not as wrong as you could be. How many say a third? <laughs> nice. Um, how many say a third? Okay, and um, so two, two of you say a third. Um, why is it a third? Right. So if I tell you one child is a boy, there are three there are three different outcomes there could be. A boy and a girl, then one child is a boy. A girl and a boy, then one child is a boy. And a boy and a boy, then one child is a boy as well. So if you have at least one but you don't know the order, then in those cases the chances are one in three, not one in four. Yeah. Have you ever had that problem Yeah, that's a Monty Hall problem. Yeah, that's, that's taking this a step farther. Do you know it? Are you shaking your head because you don't know it? I still don't. Or you don't get it? It's really difficult for me to understand. I got it from seventh grade, and now I'm like, no. I got it from literally. Yeah. Last year, Fox Cable Religion, we had a probability extra problem that Hirsch posed, um, and we're talking about poker, um, and if you walk in on a game of poker, and you know, once you restart a round, your odds of, of winning the game change, mm -hmm. um, and so the problem was, if I'm playing poker, and we just, you know, keep playing round after round after round, what, how does my probability of winning change after each game versus a man who has been told by his doctor that he is going to have a heart attack and die, what is the probability that at this exact time I will win this game of poker versus at this day this man will have a heart attack and die? And the whole thing is that, well, once a new game of poker starts, the odds are back to normal. It's yeah. 
one out of 52, and then with um, the man, each day he lives, he gets infinitely closer to having that heart attack and dying. Right. That is that you, yeah, um, there's, a, there's a good paradoxical version of this, which is the um, execution paradox. can also be the exam paradox, which is that... You're um, going to get executed. You're going to get, yeah, your punishment is you're going to be executed. And it's going to be unexpected. And it's, it's going to be within the next week at noon on one day in the next seven, but you're not going to know what day it is. So do people know this one? But each day that passes, you get closer and closer Did to we? Oh, yeah, we, no, we read a version of it. Yeah. Yeah, but so it becomes 100% if it's a week from today, right? Um, so the same with you're going to death. All of you, I'm kind of sorry to tell you this, but all of you will definitely be dead in 200 years. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm betting on your death. Unfortunately, I won't be able to collect, but I'm betting on your deaths. Oh, did they? Uh huh. Okay. And what happens to him then? I don't he remember. Lives, he lives. Yeah. So he can't be killed. But the thing, yeah, um, yeah, that happens also in the music of chance. No, it doesn't. There's a J.G. Ballard novel where that happens. Um, but the point is, there, it's an, you're, you get to live an indefinite amount of time, so you really don't know. But if there's a deadline, you do know. So if it's going to be in the next week, it can't be next Wednesday, because then I would know when I woke up next Wednesday morning that that was the day. So the last day could possibly be as Tuesday. I know it can't be Wednesday, right? So the last day could possibly be as Tuesday, but it can't be Tuesday, because I would wake up Tuesday morning knowing it would have to be Tuesday. Um, because it couldn't be Wednesday. So it can't be Tuesday, so it can't be Monday, so it can't be Sunday, so it can't be any day. So it could be any day. So it could actually be any day, and there's no paradox at all. Except it really couldn't be the next Wednesday. Even if there's no paradox at all, it can't be the next Wednesday. So the latest it could be is the next Tuesday, which it couldn't be. So... So what's interesting about that paradox is that it, is that it toggles in and out of paradox. Um, you get a paradox which solves itself because it turns out you just can't know what day you'll die. Um, but then that immediately, as soon as it solves itself, it sets itself going again. Yeah. Because then you would know that that was the day you were going to die. It's going to be a surprise. No, 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 no. It's going to be when you're... Just you tweak it. Until it you don't find out until you're till the guard comes and says dead man walking. Yeah. So because you would wake up Wednesday morning, assuming you got any sleep, you would wake up Wednesday morning, and you would say, "This is the last day it can be." They said I was going to be executed, so it has to be today. So you would know. But you're not supposed to know. <laughs> Okay, are, you're right. That's how to solve probability. There's a, in, in the um, great movie Casper Hauser by Werner Herzog, Casper um, Hauser is a wild child. Um, he's, he was, he's a real person who was found um, at the age of 12 or so. He, he'd um, essentially lived in the woods and been raised more or less by animals. And he was taught language at 12, which is say not very well. But they, he was 
asked all sorts of questions. They wanted to know what would happen if you didn't learn language till you were an adolescent. And in the movie, I don't think this happened in reality, but in the movie, um, a logician says, okay, you meet two people, one of whom always tells the truth and one of whom lies. And you have one question by which you can find out whether the pers- which one is the truth teller and which is the liar. What do you ask? And the way this paradox always goes is you're supposed to say, if I were to ask the other person whether they were the truth teller, what would they say? So Caspar Hauser looks at him and says, I would ask him, are you a tree frog? <laughs> and the logician looks at him and says, what? And he says, yes. I would say, are you a tree frog? Because if he said yes, I would know he was the liar. But if he said no, I would know he was the truth teller. Um, so that's your solution also, right? Nah, they just got it wrong. Um, <laughs> they were messed up. That's why, they, that's why they're going to kill me. They're that... You should say you can't know when you're going to die on every day except for Wednesday. Come to Wednesday, then you know when you're going to Well, but then what would you know? <laughs> okay, yeah, no, that solves it, but that's what they should say if they wanted to get rid of the paradox. Or they could just say you're going to die on Wednesday. And then there'd be no paradox either. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> When, when the revolution comes and you are made the Lord High Executioner, just don't fall into the trap that's really tempting of telling people they won't know what day they're going to die, but it's going to be sometime in the next fixed period. Because then... psychologically torture people, because that is a form of psychological torture. I know, but you torture yourself too. It hurts the torturer yeah. more than the torture. Well, it doesn't really, but... No, it hurts the torture. Yeah, it hurts everyone. Yeah, Carol. One in three. Because the possibilities are boy, girl, girl, boy, and boy, boy. So for the second child to be a boy, it has to be only of the three possibilities, only one, namely you have two boys, will fit. So the three possibilities, but only one will work. Yeah. Um, with the, uh, what do you say to the uh, liar? Like, what do you say to figure out the truth dollar? But if, the, but if you... If, if you ask the other person, the, one of the people, if, if, if the other person is a truth teller, the liar is going to say that the other person... No, 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 no. It's what would the other person say. Oh. You get a double negative into it. Right. That's what why. What would the other person say? So, so if I say to the truth teller, if I ask the liar whether he was a liar, would he say yes? The truth teller um, will say no, he won't say yes. Right? Yeah. Okay, if I ask a liar, are you a liar? The liar is going to say no. If I ask the truth teller, are you a liar? The truth teller is going to say no. So that does me no good at all. Except that I know there's a question where I will get the response, no. No, So no matter what I ask, if I ask, are you a liar? No matter who I ask, the, the response I will get is no. So I know the response I'm supposed to get. So I now go up to one of them, and I say to that person, if I ask the other one, whether she was a liar, what would she say? And the truth teller, if I ask the truth teller that, the truth teller will truthfully say that the liar will deny being a liar. If I ask the liar, the liar will tell me a lie and say that the truth teller will claim to be a liar. So if I ask the liar, what will the other one say if I ask that person whether she's a liar? The liar 
will say that the other person will say, yes, I'm a liar. But there's a third person who stabs people who ask tricky questions. <laughs> um, you know, Wednesday, I know it's the end of our week <laughs> and maybe execution time, but um, it's not the end of the week. You guys are a little punchy a little early. Okay, so how many people are happy about the one in three chances that if you have one boy, there's a one in three chance that you have another boy? And how many people think that's kind of weird? Why? Uh, just that it's not intuitive. Yeah. When you just think about it, it's like it, it just seems like it would make sense, but then it, you really have to break down the structure, I guess, of the, or how you say the, when you're afraid of the other. Yeah, I mean, it feels like, um, yeah. I mean, part of it is just the phrasing. I mean, the, like, I mean, there's a one, there's a one half chance that you're going to, um, that you're going to give birth to a boy no matter what the context. There's a one and a half, but there's a one half chance that you're the type of person who would have a one half chance of giving birth to a boy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it feels like you're not getting more information, but you actually are. And one way, when I first heard this, that just seemed wrong to me. But one way to think of it as, as why it works is that if I say I have two children and at least one of them is a boy, what that meant was I had two chances to have a boy. That statement, there are two things that can make that statement true. What, my first child being a boy or my second child being a boy. Whereas if I say my first child is a boy, what's the chance that my second child is a boy? Only one statement, only one fact can make the first statement true, namely that the first child is a boy. So there are two facts that can make the statement true, I have two children, one of them is a boy. There are two different facts, each of which could make that statement true that my first child is a boy, or that my second child is a boy. But there's only one fact that can make it true that my first child is a boy. So I have two chances to have a boy if I say I have two children and one is a boy. But now there are two chances to have a girl as the other child, not just one chance. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, you look at your four options and you say, okay, which one of these has a boy in them? And the one that's girl, girl, you cross it out and then you're like physically and visually left with only three choices. Right, exactly. Which makes it a lot easier to conceptualize. Yeah, so if you diagram it, it's easier to conceptualize. You still get into strange problems, though, with thinking, with, with just trying to figure out whether the diagram actually corresponds to what you imagine the world really looks like. I get what you just said. Yes. I get All right. what you just said. Yeah, it, because there's only one square where there's BB in it, if you do a pun square. Uh -huh. and, but there are three where one of your two children is a boy. Yeah. It's one over three. Right. Wild. Yeah, <laughs> this. It's a lot easier yeah. to understand this than it's so, Yeah. But who's to say that, that those writings on that page have anything to do with our reality? <laughs> no one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no one. Okay. 
Um, so it was Pascal who first started thinking these things through, and Pascal who figured out um, how probabilities work. The weird thing about probability is philosophically, probability is actually a very strange thing in philosophy. Philosophers don't agree as to what it means um, or how it works. Um, Kind of like the wheel with the inner circle. Yeah. Yeah, I still can't understand what you multiply things. Like, it's like the least intuitive thing. Really? You, yeah. If you think of branch, if you just think of branching possibilities, it doesn't make sense to you? Not really, no. Really? There, there are three ways that I can go, three pathways I can go down, and each one has three different things branching off from it, and each one of those has another three branching off from them. So there's only a one in three chance that I take the first one, the right first one, and then I get to the next branching, and there's only one in three chance that I take the right second one, and I get to the third branching, there's only one in three chance that I take the right third one. So by that time, there are 27 different branches, right? Three times three times three, and only one chance out of that 27 that I've taken the right three. Well, okay, so because here's... you started with the number of possibilities and you said... Oh, okay, but wait, wait, do you want... Here, let me, let me just ask you quickly. Can anyone prove just intuitively and descriptively why multiplication of whole numbers is commutative? Why 2 times 3 is 3 times 2? Why 7 times 14 is 14 times 7? Okay, go. All right, so think um, multiplication is repeated counting, right? Yeah. So uh, this is much easier with diagrams. Can I... Yeah, go ahead. Do it. This class is going to be good today, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe make that assertion halfway through the class. Catch. I'm feeling it now. I'm feeling it. All right, so say I want to multiply three times two. I can repeatedly count two objects three times. Or... Um, but if I, want to, if, I, if I want to repeatedly count three objects two times, then I could go and you notice that anytime I do this, I'm forming a rectangle, <clears throat> which is one number by the other number sized. And all I need to do to transform counting th three objects two times into counting two objects three times is simply to flip the rectangle by 90 degrees, and it's this, and it, that you can turn them into each other. So multiplication has to be commutative. Okay, does everyone see that? <coughs> Another way you could do it, it's basically the same way, but just, just to see it in a single diagram, is you go, no, you just say, look, here, here's two things, here's two things, here's two things, there are three of these two um, there are three of these pairs. I count one, two, three, four, five, six, and so three pairs is six. Oh, but look, here is one, two, three, one, two, three, two columns with three things in each of them. Um, two columns, three things in each, but it's the same diagram. Whichever way I do it, if I say it's three columns and two rows, I mean the three, two columns and three rows, or um, three rows and two columns, it doesn't matter what order I, whether I look at the columns and then the rows or the rows and then the columns, the number stays the same. 
And that's how you prove with whole numbers <coughs> that multiplication is commutative. Joy, then Jared. Uh, it reminds me, uh, there's this um, great thinker, John Holt, who writes about how learning, um, what, what learning is, and, and writes a lot about what math is in order to teach teachers what it is, um, truly. And he, and he basically, um, he says a lot like basic math, like, like math, uh, multiplication and addition. It, it's just a way of ordering how num and, um, and saying what the properties of numbers. And so, yeah, he makes the columns like that. And it's like, I mean, they're just, when you say two times three or three times two, it's just a different way of, of writing the same thing, which is these, uh, that, 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 that kind of shape, that kind of arrangement of, of, of whatever. Yeah, yeah, good, yeah. To make you happy and throw in some Shakespeare, I think of it as like... Bacon. It wasn't Shakespeare, it was bacon, I'm sure. The rose, the rose by any other name argument kind of thing. Uh -huh. that, or, or the duck, columns by any other a name. Duck, exactly, a duck is still a duck regardless of what you call it. That the three times two, two times three are just different names for the same concept. Right, exactly. Okay, good. Um, okay, so Pascal is working on probability. Um, one of the issues about probabilities, you have to know what it is you're asking um, the probability of. Um, probability, figuring out probability if you have the probabilities of things is relatively straightforward and it, it has to do with multiplying things. So if, so if I tell you there's a 50-50 chance um, that a coin will land on heads what are the, um, and then we flip that coin three times, what are the odds that, against getting three heads? If I tell you that, then you can solve it. Um, but it may not be the case, for reasons that we're already looking at in the Library of Babel, it may not be the case that you can actually figure out what it is that is a real thing whose probability you're trying to figure out. Um, it can also be the case, this is something that Charles Sanders Peirce um, once said, is what if there's a unique event? So he said, look, here's a deck of cards. If I flip to the ace of spades, the universe is destroyed. And if I don't, the universe survives. What are the odds that I flip to the ace of spades? And he said, it's 50-50. Either I will or I won't. It's not like there are 52 universes and I can do this over and over again. And 51 of those universes will survive on average, but one will be destroyed. What he's saying is, I'm only doing it one time. And either it will be the ace of spades or it won't be the ace of spades. Yeah? That makes too much sense. It's scary. It makes so much sense. I don't think so. I'm just trying to say that there are actually, in probability, there are philosophical problems that um, are real. Now, I'll, I'll, give you one that, I'll give you another one that's real. And, and, well, I'll, yeah, I'll give you another one that's real. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I remember in, uh, like in high school I took stats, and one example they had in the stats book was they were interviewing people to see what people knew about statistics. Uh, and they were interviewing someone who was like, doing scratch lottery tickets. And they were like, oh, what do you think your probability of winning was? And they were like, oh, well, you know, like 50%. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how they make money. Well, yeah. Uh, well, why do you think it's 50%? Well, either I win or I don't. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. You don't. That doesn't mean your chance is 50%, though. Yeah. 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 Also, I think that the entire, the entire concept 
um, if you break it down a little bit, is built on almost faith. Because the only way we know that if you flip a coin, 50% of the time it's heads and 50% of the time it's tails is from trial and error. You can't look at a coin and say that. Exactly. So that means that we have faith that over the billions of times, I don't know if it's that many times, that coins have been flipped in our universe, that we see a trend that it's an even 50-50 split, but it could be 51-49 universal law, and that could be the truth, and and we wouldn't know, but an empiricist would believe that, that that's truth, but we wouldn't know. Yeah, but let's say we were in a run of several billion flips that were all gave us, um, that conformed or converged towards 50%. Mm-hmm. And so you come with your argument and we say, yeah, but you just can't be sure. It's, what the, some, it's, the, it's the, the thing you were talking about with even numbers. Yeah. Like how can we assume there's an right. based on what we have here? Right. So the one possible answer, the reason I would take that bet, is I would say, you know, you might be right, but after a billion flips... I'm actually pretty confident that the next coin flip isn't going to be where the anomaly ends. That is, since this has worked out really well for a billion flips, it could be wrong, but I think the odds that the next coin flip is going to be the one where it starts going back, starts reverting to what it should be, at that very coin flip that we're now betting on, I would put the odds against that at about a billion to one. So the idea that just after a billion flips. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 It's like <laughs> the liar's paradox, or it's like asking if I said to that person, "What is the probability?" Etc. Yeah. There's no one side of the coin heavier than the other. Yes, it's not real. <laughs> Don't bring in truth. We're doing philosophy. That's what I was asking you about Pascal, also. But that's Don't... a real thing, though, right? Yeah. Is that true? That's true? That's okay. true. That it's almost certainly not the case that it's, it would be a 50-50 split if you did a billion coin flips. There'd be a bias, yeah. There'd be a very slight bias, but there'd be a bias. So, the, so that is true. How can you because it gets. I think, I think that mathematicians have the most radical ideology there is. Yeah, they do. They're idealists. It gets lost in the noise. Like I said earlier, what's the difference? Okay, but look, let. So here's here's another thing. Let's say that you. Um, trying to think, what would it, what would be a good good example of this? Um, let's say you turn on the TV. And you can see that whatever show is on, and the show could be anywhere because we live in a very avant-garde and art house universe. The show could be anywhere from a millisecond to um, a million years long. Okay? Both sound like terrible. Yeah, I think we would prefer the millisecond, unless we could be guaranteed that we could watch the whole million years. Um, but let's say you turn on you, you you turn on something. And it could be, what you're looking at could be anywhere in any length from almost zero to something astoundingly too long to figure out. But the one thing you find out when you turn it on is how long it's been on. So you turn it on, and it's been on for, let's say, 
13 days. Okay, so you know you're 13 days into it. That's all you know about it. What is the probability, you could ask, what is the probability that it is um, over 100 days long? Now, at first glance, you would say, well, I don't know, because it could be any length. But there is an argument you could make, and the argument goes something like this. If you take something completely randomly, you something has a certain duration or a certain size, and you randomly touch down there. You get a random sample and only one. You could say that there's a 5% chance that you're in the first 5% of the show, right? That goes, that's, that's a tautology. There's a 5% chance that you're in the first 5% of the show, and a 5% chance that you're in the last 5% of the show, right? So a 90% chance that you're not in the first 5% and that you're not in the last 5%. So let's say you turn on a show after 13 days. There's a 90% chance that that show isn't, or there's a 95% chance that that show is not longer than, what, 260 days, because there's a, only a 1 in 20 chance that you're only in the first 5%. So you turn it on. It's been on for 13 days. There's a 90% chance that it'll be over in 200, a 95% chance it'll be over in 260 days. And there's also a whatever 13 over 5 is, 2 and 3 fifths. The, the chances that it'll be over in the next 2 and 3 fifths days are also only 5%. So there's a 90% chance that it's going to last somewhere between another 2 and 3 fifths and another 260 days. So you don't know how long it could last forever, but there's a 90% chance that it will last at least another two and three-fifths days, but not more than 260 days. Does that make sense to people? Yeah, it is. That's a, that is what it is. Um, the idea is you pick, if you pick something at random, the likelihood that you're not in the first or the last 5% of that, that you're not near the, open, the beginning of it, within 5% of its beginning, that you're not within 5% of its end, the likelihood that you're not within 5% of either is 90%. If you walk into a movie and you don't know when the movie started and you just hear voices as you open the door, the odds that you're in the opening of the movie or at the very close of the movie are basically 9 to 1 against. Does that make sense to people? Just open a movie at random, or turn on the radio at random and a song is playing, what are the odds that you get the song, in, let's say it's a 10-minute it's a long song, what are the odds that you get the song in the first 30 seconds? 5%. What are the odds that you get the song in the last 30 seconds? 5%. What are the odds that you're more than 30 seconds into the song, but um, there's also more than 30 seconds of the song left in a 10-minute song? 90%. So does that make sense to people? 
So it's actually a pretty sweet way of being able to estimate, not very accurately, but with a certain interval of confidence, how much longer something is likely to last. You must have all had this experience on like the stair machine, right? You go down to the stair machine and someone's on it and they put their towel so you can't see that they're cheating um, and that they're staying on it longer than the half an hour that they're allowed to. And, you don't, and you're shy, so you don't know whether to ask them or not. You've had this experience? <laughs> Which machine? Stair machine, gym. Any sort of machine at the gym where people wait. You haven't had this experience? You guys are such empiricists. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. But the point is, you see, there's a line. You don't know how long it's going to take. Um, but the odds that they just got on, you tell yourself are low. The odds that they're about to get off, you fear are low. So you think they're likely to be somewhere in the middle. And there's a 90% chance that they're in the middle 90%. There's a 90% chance about everything that it's in the middle 90% until you know more. Then you can find out whether that's right or not. But your first experience of anything is that it's going to be in the middle 90% of its existence, of where it is, of whatever. Um, if you throw a coin at a bathtub across the room, the odds are 90% that it's not going to be within 5% of the edge of the bathtub. If it lands in the water, the odds are 90% that it's not going to be within 5% of the edge. There's always a 90% chance that things are going to be in the 90% in the middle. Yeah? But it's really difficult to do this in real-life scenarios because there's always kind of other factors. You know, if the person who's on the machine sees you standing there watching them, then that probably increases the Yes, yes, yes. Too. Stop with the reality. Okay. There's actually, there were studies. Do you guys know what phone booths are from yeah, Superman yeah. and stuff? I watch Dr. Who. Okay. So there was, they actually did a study, you, since you guys like reality so much, what you're saying, Luke, is absolutely right. They did a study about 15, 20 years ago where they wanted to know what would happen if some, whether everyone felt that um, if someone was on the phone and they were waiting to use it, the person on the phone um, would talk longer. This is just what human beings always felt. That, why aren't they getting off? They see I'm standing here waiting for the phone. And they're just yakking and yakking and yakking. I cannot believe what they're talking about. Who cares that your poodle got that collar? I don't. They don't. Why are you making me wait? So they finally did a study where they had hidden cameras. Um, they trained hidden cameras on um, a control group of phones with no one waiting to use them just to time how long people talked. And then they had another group of phones, 100 phones in each group. And they had another group of phones where an experimenter would just stand waiting to use the pay phone. And in fact, people who knew that people were waiting for the pay phones talked an average of 30% longer. So your intuition that people are jerks, you're right. They are. That's why I asked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Abby. You can. So you can, you can keep doing that until it's like 1% Yeah. But the question is, what kind of information do you want? So you know that experience where you're waiting. You know, the doctor, the doctor will be with you in a moment. So you're waiting in the waiting room. 
And then there's the question, okay, it's been half an hour. Do I ask the receptionist where she is? Um, and then we have this kind of rhythm that we do. Here we are back in Augustine where we say, okay, I'm going I'm to count to three and then I'm going to ask. And you go, one, two, three, and you say, okay, wait, take a deep breath. And then you kind of reset for a while and then you get more and more frustrated and finally you ask and you find out, oh, she didn't know she, you were here. She went out to play golf. Um, and then you go postal. Um, but you all know that experience of not knowing how long you're going to have to wait. This is human life, is that we don't know how long we're going to have to wait. And so it can be useful to you to give yourself a very um, pretty reliable sense of how long the longest it's going to be is. And what we do, this is, this is, a, this is an interaction of probability and psychological need. So it can be useful to think, okay, I've been waiting now for um, 15 minutes. The odds are, or just think of waiting for a plane to take off. I've been waiting now for 15 minutes. The odds are that I'm not still in the first 5% of this wait. The odds are only 5% that I'm in, in the still, still in the first 5%. So I can say with 95% probability that I'm not going to have to wait another five hours. I'm 95% sure that five hours from now, this is going to be over. But I'm also 95% sure that after having waited 15 minutes, that no one is going to come in the next whatever it is, in the next minute that it's going to be at least another minute, that I shouldn't go ape doo-doo right now because after waiting 15 minutes, I'm 95% sure it's not going to be right now. It's going to be, another, um, it's going to be at least another minute or whatever, the, um, a little bit less than a minute. I'm 95% sure of that, but I can also be 95% sure that if, it, if she doesn't come in the next minute, it's at least not going to take her another six hours. So... How comforting an interval is that? Not so comforting, except in some situations where, for example, you're dying of hunger. I mean, literally dying of hunger. And you think, well, I'm going to have to hold out. I know I'm going to have to hold out at least another few more minutes, but I can feel pretty confident that I'm not going to have to hold out more than another six or seven hours. So there's situations where you'll say, that interval of three minutes to six hours is tolerable as long as I'm 90% sure that that's what the interval is going to be. I can deal with that right now. In other cases, you, you may want to say something like, um, I'm 50% sure that it's going to happen before 75% of the time is gone. No, you'd never? No, 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 it's just how, what you tell yourself is different. But the probability No, the probability isn't different. The probability isn't different. It's the probabilities that matter to you. They're probabilities that matter to Every situation brings with it probabilities that matter. So people, for example, you know, the reason plane travel is so much safer than car travel is that people would not get into planes if they had the same probability of dying in plane crashes as they do in car crashes. Because they would say, you know, this is just crazy. 
Um, I could get killed just as easily as in a car. I'm not going to do it. Um, so planes are, I think, in the U.S., I believe they're a thousand, mi thousand times safer than cars. Um, somewhere on that order of a, of a thousand times safer per mile. Yeah, a thousand times safer per mile. But everyone has fear of flying, or most people have fear of flying. Why. What? I know why. Why? Because of publications. That yeah. When yeah. Goes yeah. Down, it's whatever, it's case something. Uh, yeah. But if someone says, look, you're getting into a car and you have, um, you know, a one in 10,000 chance of getting killed, which you don't. It's, it's lower than that. But no, actually, it isn't. What is it? Oh, no, I guess it's one in, one in 3,000 per year. Yeah. No, it's one in 3,000 per year. So one in 3,000 per year. So you get into a car and you think, I'm doing something that there's a one in 3,000 chance that I'll be killed this year by, by behaving this way. Um, but you do it because you say, yeah, 3,000, that's pretty good odds. But if someone says, you know, you're getting to this Aeroflot jetliner and there's a 3,000, you know, the odds are 3,001, you'll make it, you're going to look for a different airline. So that means that psychology is interacting with probability. You're not, and your, psycholo your psychological attitude towards different probabilities is different, which is why insurance companies make money. Yeah. The U.S. is extremely safe in airplanes and I think pretty average in cars. Okay, so we're not like really bad at cars? No. It depends no. what state you're in. Yeah, it depends what state you're in. Yeah. But, but again... I the New York drivers. I have never missed bad New York cabbies so much. It's so true. Right? Yeah. Well, because at least in New York, if they have cars listen to you, we attack cars with their back. Wait, louder. This just Yes, yes. The, you can, the point is, look, what I was, the little trick that I was giving you, which is of interest to probability theorists and mathematicians, there's, there's a reason that I was giving it to you, and we're not there yet. But the little trick that I was giving you is one that will give you a handle on, on an experience you're having when you have absolutely no other information. So you have no information at all as to um, when the plane's going to take off or when you're going to stop being on hold. You have no information whatever as to when that'll happen. And so what you can say is assuming that I'm not having an unlikely experience, I can... Um, give a sense of the likelihoods, and that can be psychologically helpful, assuming that I'm not having an unlikely experience. Now, you could be, but on the assumption that you're not, it can be, that can be helpful. Yeah? Um, is this just another way of talking about the bell curve? It is. It is. Yeah, because it makes sense to me to think about it that way. Yeah, yeah. No, it is another way of talking about the bell curve and thinking that you're, you're very likely not an outrider. It's just a way of saying, of calculating, though, what being an outrider would mean in this case. Um, and the point is that being an outrider here, well, no, I'm sorry, it's not quite the same thing as saying just the bell curve because you don't actually know what the values in the bell curve are. So you're kind of flipping it. You're, you're trying to figure out what the values of the bell curve might be based on the assumption that you're not an outrider. 
Okay, so if you're not an outlier or an outrider, then you're very likely between 5 and 95. You're very likely no more than a couple of standard deviations away from the mean. If you're no more than a couple of standard deviations away from the mean, then you can give your then you can know what the likely values of the bell curve are. So it's actually reversing that. Does that make sense? It's still the same connection, but but you're coming at it. You're tunneling at it from the other end. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because people would not take air travel. Oh yeah. They would travel by car, and that increased. Yes. Their no, that's right. Um, more people are killed by telephones in the U.S. every year than by planes. That's really. Hey, telephones are pretty dangerous. They are. Yeah. No, 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 no. Just, just telephone accidents of various sorts. People getting drunk and, and strangling themselves with phone cords, people um, throwing phones at their loved ones in fights. Um, among the hundred, yeah. It's a pretty, for what yeah. it is, it's a relatively high statistic. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. Well, see, that, that's exactly the right question. Yeah. So here's, what, here's a place where this statistic can matter to people. But here, here's a version of it that actually can matter to people. You can say... Yeah, kind of. You can say, okay, um, homo sapiens, that is modern humans, um, either way you want to put it, either homo sapiens or homo sapiens sapiens, but let's just say humans have been around for about two million years. Um, sorry? No, yeah, homo sapiens 200,000. I, I just went to human spirit. Okay, let's just say homo sapiens have been around for about 200,000 years. Um, we wonder how long we're going to last as a species. We know that most species are extinct, right? You all know that. That I think it's 99% of all species that ever lived are extinct. Um, so... And we spend a lot of time wondering how long we're going to last as a species. So you could say, well, we've been around for 200,000 years. There is a 90% chance that we're at least 5% done. And there's a 90% chance that we're not in our last 5%. So if we were in our last 5% of 200,000 years, we would have 10,000 years left or less. If we were in our first 5%, we would have, um, what, 4 million years 
left. So there's a 90% chance that, we're, that the human species is going to last somewhere between 10,000 and 4 million years more. Yeah. But that sort of assumes that we have no that, that we that we have no information that would lead us to conclude that we're an outlier amongst the species that yeah. we that, that we have observed. No, but we're not we're not asking how long do other species last. In other words, we're not comparing our longevity to that of other species. We're only comparing our longevity to our longevity so far. Okay, just as you know, when Darwin found Galapagos tortoises, no one knew how long they lived, um, and it's only recently, I think, that the lifespan has been pegged, because only recently do, um, have enough of them died. Have have people seen enough lifespans of Galapagos tortoises to know roughly what their lifespan is? But for a really long time, people didn't know. I mean, for over a century, people didn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? probability that exists. Well, now you're getting to metaphysical questions, but I guess zero. Yeah, maybe. But go back to this question about humans. So there's one argument you can make, which is, yeah, it's really likely that we'll last at least another 10,000 years, no matter who's elected in two weeks. And... Um, but it's also really unlikely that we'll last another four million years, no matter who's elected in the next two weeks. So, you know, you can be philosophical about it in various ways. You can say, I don't really have to worry about it immediately, um, but we're not going to last forever. Reasonable enough. But there's another thing you can ask, which is how many, the world's population now is seven billion people. And I believe, if I recall correctly, that um, the number of humans who've lived completely over the last 200,000 years is about 70 billion. That is about 10% of all um, people who ever lived are alive now. So about 70 billion human beings in the planet's history. So there's a 5% chance that the number of human beings who will ever live is only going to be another 5% of that 70 billion. Is that, can you do that because time is not exponential growth? It doesn't matter whether it's exponential growth. You're looking at numbers and you're saying the odds are that we are in the middle 90%. That is, with 70 billion people, the odds are that the number of humans who will ever live is going to be somewhere between um, 70 billion plus 5% of 70 billion and 70 billion plus um, 9 times 70 billion. Um, I'm not convinced. Well, the problem is it's, a pr it's the same argument. It's just as legitimate, but those two arguments don't are not consistent with each other. And what you're actually twigging to is that they're not consistent with each other because we know that the Earth can't carry that many people. We know that there's no way that 700 trillion human beings will ever live, let's say. At once. At once or even probably ever unless the species is really long-lived. But one argument, one way of looking at probabilities 
says there's a 90% chance that we're in this area. Another way of looking at probability says there's a 90% chance that we're in this area, but those two areas are inconsistent with each other. And that means that you need to know what it is that you're trying to figure out the probability of. This is all in some fairly straightforward way relevant to Pascal and to Pascal's wager. But let me give one more example. Wait, wait. Say you need to know what it is, like what, in, in different words, what it is that you're finding the you, Well, the, okay, so let me give another example if I can remember this right. Um, so let's say that... Um, I'm just trying to think if I really want to go down this pathway. Um, are we going to talk about the prisoners? Dilemma? Yeah, we are, eventually. Um, how many people know what the word livid means? Yeah, I gave this to you. Right. We did this when we were doing... Um, yeah, it's a color, and some people think it's red, and some people think it's um, white or pale or, or bloodless. Um, so you could go, this is what we were talking about in Borges, you could go your whole life um, thinking you were talking about the same thing as someone else, but then finding out that you weren't. Okay, so here is um, a possibility. Don't say that it makes no sense because it makes sense. You can say it's ridiculous, but don't say that it makes no sense. So let's define um, in normal ways the idea of girls and boys. So a female child um, is a girl, a male child we call a boy. And let's actually more accurately say than 50-50 that there's a 51% chance in any live birth that the baby is a boy and a 49% chance that it's a girl. Those aren't exactly accurate, but they're more, that's closer to accurate than 50-50. 51% um, chance that it's a boy, 49% chance that it's a girl. Okay, so then what we could say is, assuming nothing else changes biologically, what are the odds that the first baby born in the year 2100 is a boy? I just, 51%, yeah. Assuming nothing changes, we could say the probabilities are going to be the same. Okay, good. Now, let's define another pair of different things. Um, this isn't my example. This is Richard Jeffrey's example. Um, goys and burls. So what's a goy? A goy is the same thing as a boy before the year 2050 and the same thing as a girl after the year 2050. And a burl is the same thing as a girl before the year 2050, and the same thing as a boy after the year 2050. So now we can say, what are the odds that the first child born in the year 2100 is a goy? Remember, a goy is the same thing as a boy before the year 2050. So it's 
50. When in doubt, take the average. Okay, so after the year 2050, some people will say, oh, look, a girl. But if it's born exactly and some people on the year, is it born before or after? Thank you. <laughs> um, some person will say, or the fir- uh, how about the first child born in Beth Israel? So some people will say, um, lo, a girl in the year 2051. Some people will say, lo, a girl. And they were the same people who would say, lo, a girl, if the same child had been born two years earlier. And some people would say, lo, a girl. Or would they say, lo, a goy? So remember... Yeah, it's, it's easier to write it down. But we have two different definitions. One is our normal, standard, natural, used-to-it definition of boy and girl. And the other is of something else, goys and burls, where goys and girls, or did I say goy? Um, yeah, I guess goys and girls are the same things before 2050, but they're different after 2050. And um, boys and girls are the same thing before 2050, but different after 2050. I think I'm, I've, I'm mixed up which was which now. But the point is, one of them, you would be tempted to say that if there's a 51% chance that boys are being born in the year 2000 and that, bo- that there's still a 51% chance that boys will be born in the year 2100, there's also a 51% chance that any child born in the year 2000 is a goy. So why wouldn't there be a 51% chance that that child born in the year 2100 would also be a goy? Because you changed what it defines. No, but you haven't. These are, both, these are both simply things given by definition. Why would you think that boys and girls are the right things to apply the probability to, and goys and burls are the wrong things to apply the probabilities to. Well, just in front, you just change what they're affecting as time has gone on. No, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm defining an entity. I'm saying there's a probability that's been true since the beginning of human time that, there's, that um, 51% of babies are goys. Um, look back, as long back as you want. Napoleon was a goy. Um, Empress Josephine was a burl. Anything you can say about boys and girls, I can give you um, just as accurate information about goys and burls. Absolutely as accurate. Abraham was a goy. Sarah was a burl. No question about it. Adam was a goy. Eve was a burl. I know that just as much as you know that they were boys and girls. And so far, we've both been exactly right about the probabilities. We check out the census records, take a year at random, look at the census records, and you say, look, ha, 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 51% boys. And I say, yes, ha, 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 51% goys, just as, I, just as I was expecting. So all the things that you can say, I can say too. So I have every right then to say, is that a dog? No, it's a bear. Holy shit. Oh, my God. oh is it a bear? No. 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 <laughs> it's a deer. 
It's a bog. Woo! They looked like it. There's Redolent. God. All right. Sorry, everyone in the room said I was making up that. Yes. It looked like a bear from a certain angle. Yes. A bear came? Yeah. No, it was a bear. Yeah. Yeah. So, this thing we're talking about, are we talking about the nature of probability and how it's it's vulnerable to the changing and definition of of terms or or the change in the universe? Or are we talking about the nature of what our terms and understanding <coughs> are in general? Well, what we're we're basically confirming something you said earlier, which is that we feel like um, we can talk about things as having certain probabilities. Um, from experience and from knowing what they are and knowing how they work, but we already are assuming we know what they are, and we're assuming that um, um, our knowledge of what they are is something that will fix the probabilities, will make them what they are. Mm -hmm. So this is just a way of trying to, trying to say that thinking probability is a very hard thing to think clearly about. Um, it's very hard just under normal circumstances where people will frequently do the more dangerous but also more common thing rather than the less dangerous but less common thing. Um, but it's also hard to think about philosophically. Probability is actually a much harder philosophical issue than it seems to be. Pascal is talking about probability and he's inventing probability. And he does it partly because gamblers are starting to wonder. A lot of people in the 17th century are starting to think about probability because gamblers are starting to wonder about what bets to make, how to make bets, what the probability of winning. Sorry? That they started realizing that it would be really good to figure this out mathematically, yeah. Up until then, they, no, up until then they did it intuitively. Up until then they did it intuitively. And everyone uses intuitions of probability. The problem is that our intuitions of probability are just wrong um, a lot of the time. You know, a standard thing that they'll tell you is um, which of the following two scenarios is more likely? Um, John is crossing the street um, and sees a car coming at him and he stops dead and the car runs him over and he dies. Or John is crossing the street, sees a car coming um, at him, and because he's just had eye surgery, um, the bright light of the headlights in his eyes causes a brief stroke in his brain, and he stops dead, and the car hits him, and he dies. So which is more likely? The first one is more likely, but naive people will say the second one because it gives an ex explanation. Yeah, but the but the, no, but the point is when we give an explanation for something unlikely, it seems to make it more likely. But the explanation makes it less likely than without the explanation. It's right, exactly. Yeah, means that there are more things that have to be the case for this to be true. 
Right, but it's the opposite. We think explanations make things more likely, but in fact, they make things less likely. Yeah. Also, like, it's the, it's the psychological test that more people will say that if, if, if someone is described as into, as into poetry, as yeah. thin and, what, um, and intellectual, or, then he, like, the people, and uh, the question is asked, is he more... Of a professor, is he more likely to be a professor or a truck driver? People yeah. say he's more likely to be a professor. Yeah. Like there are a lot more truck drivers than professors. Right, exactly. So, in fact, he's more likely to be a truck driver. Right. Yeah. So, we're just bad with probability. It's a fact about, hu about human beings. Um, okay, but this all comes out in, um, as a necessity when people are thinking about games and playing games and selling lottery tickets and buying lottery tickets and so on. Okay, so. There is this 20th century invention called game theory. And the idea of game theory is that you are making a move in a game under the assumption that the person you're playing with or against, and with and against can, be, can mean different things. That is, it may be a game where you're both trying to, um, both trying to win, or it may be a game where you're trying to beat the other person. But you make a move in the game um, on the assumption that they are making a move in the game also, and that they're making their move on the assumption that you're making your move. So um, an example of that, game theory, you, you generally take extremely simple games. Um, and what you want to do is... Um, make the best move that you can make in a context where you're playing with someone who is making the best move they can make. So, and what they're doing when they're making the best move that they can make is doing it in a situation where they know that you're making the best move that you can make. So there's a kind of mirroring back and forth where you're thinking about their move but also thinking that as you're thinking about their move, they're thinking about your move. And that they, as they're thinking about your move, are thinking that you're thinking about their move. So think of rock, paper, scissors, right? If you play rock, paper, scissors, you would do a rock if what? If you thought they were going to do scissors. Um, and so you might start doing a rock thinking that they're going to do scissors, but then you might say to yourself, oh, they'll think that I'm going to do a rock expecting me to do scissors, so what I better do is paper. But then the other person can think, oh, they're going to think that I'm going to think that they're going to expect me to do a rock, and so they'll do papers because they don't want to do scissors. Sorry? You win 50% of the time. Based on calculation, try you yeah, okay. Ready? No. <laughs> also, also, if you do, if you repeat something twice, you are. I don't. It's more than it's it basically more than. No, 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 no. You are much more likely to win if you repeat that for a third time because the person's going to think you won't. Yeah. Right. You won't make a pattern. And so you, if you are ever going to do something twice, you have to do it three times. Unless you're playing with someone who knows you'll do that. Yeah, because yeah, somebody but might then have that you've got some freaking masters of 
I had a student at Brandeis who actually came in 52nd in the National Rock, Paper, Scissors Championship about eight years ago. Yeah, they have it every year. There's How much time do they have between turns? Um, they, you, you, you know, it's, it's, it's an elimination. So she got, she got to, the, to the top 64 and she came in in the 50s out of several, I think maybe eight or well, 900 people. Like, do they have a day before they make their next rock, paper, or something? No, 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 no. It's just... You, it's straight up. Yeah, so it's, it's like playing tennis. Yeah. yeah. Wait, is there says or not? <laughs> what? Like rock, paper, scissors, scissors, shoot, yeah. That's the big argument. Oh, okay. You empiricists. Okay, so what you do in rock, paper, scissors, just to define a game, what you do in rock, paper, scissors is you decide what you're going to do based on your assumption of what they're going to do based on their assumption of what you're going to do based on your assumption of what they're going to do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I clearly cannot choose the glass in front of you. Okay, so here's what I would like you to do for Monday without consulting anyone else in this class. So can I get promises from you that you're not going to consult anyone else? Okay, no consulting, otherwise it's pointless. On mo for Monday, come in with a sheet of paper on which you have written a number which you think is 70% of the average of the numbers everyone else is going to write down. A number between 1 and 100. Okay, so a number at least one, no more than 100, that you think is going to come closest to 70% of the average of all the numbers that people bring in. So if everyone brings in 10s, then you want to bring in a 7. If everyone brings in 100, you want to bring in 70. Okay, so you want to write down a number which you think is going to come closest. Don't say a word. This is no consultation at all. A number that you, or do you want to just do it right now and we'll collect it? Do it right now. The winner. No, 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 no. Do it. It's better if you do it now. The winner on Monday will get this dollar. Okay, write down a number. Write, write down a number on a slip of paper. Then you can go. Write down a number on a slip of paper that you think is closest to 70% of the average of the numbers that, all your, that you and your classmates will put down. So low, can we put our names on it, I guess? Yes. Close to 70%. Closest to 70% of what everyone else will write down okay. on average. So if you think the average number people will write down is 90, then you want to write down 63. Can I fold it? Do you yeah. mean you're taking the little I'm going to average, average all the numbers you write down. Whoever writes down the number closest to 70% of the average of all the numbers you write down will get the dollar. No, you're not constrained to interest just between 1 and 100. I really, I don't know. Like, I don't even know how to do this. Can I just write something like anything else? Yeah, as long as between 1 and 100. Okay. But guess what other people are going to put down on average? You write about 70% of them. Okay. Okay.
There is no way for everyone to be right. Yeah. Because Any other numbers? No. It's kind of hard because I'm like, oh, thank you. But if everyone does, it's like a huge 30 person If everyone does 70, then your answer has to be. Wait, quiet! Keep on sliding down! This is not okay. Is this our final? You broke them! This is the final exam. I hope you're happy. Put your names on talking about is what would happen if you did something and number of times how many what um, what the results would be um, what proportion